Thank you. All right. Well, take your Bible, please, if you would. And uh, we're in Second John. Once again, we, uh, we've been here for a couple of weeks. Um, we're in verses 7 through 11 uh, this morning. And so um, we'll be going through this epistle, then going to 3 John after this. I will say next Sunday, however, our brother Doug Reagan will be bringing forth the word. I asked Doug to preach some, some time ago, and uh, he'll be bringing forth the word and sharing his ministry that many of you don't even know about, uh, the New Brothers Fellowship ministry. But anyway, 2 John uh, chapter 1, there's only one chapter, but verses 7 through 11. Uh, let me read it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not love those things, uh, we do not, do not lose those things which we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your home, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Father, Lord, thank you for your word. We just pray your Holy Spirit to come now. Lord, use me to bring forth the word of God. And let it be clear. Let it be uh, filled with uh, passion and truth. And may your Holy Spirit bring these, these, this truth of this passage to our hearts in a special way. Lord, may your word also bring us spiritual knowledge and insights into how to deal with certain issues that come our way. So we thank you for it. We pray, Lord, as we always pray, that in the process of the preaching of your word, that you will be glorified and your people will be edified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. So uh, last couple of weeks we started with verses 1 through 4 and we talked about walking in truth. And that was like a sermon all of its own, you know, how important it is to walk in truth. Last week we talked, talked from verses 5 and 6, which is walking in love. And that's a, that's a topic in and of itself as well. But today we're, we're looking at, at the, the next section with verses 1 through 6 in the background. And what he's saying is, it's important to walk in truth and walk in love as you deal with it, as, as according to verse number 7, as you deal with false teachers or false prophets. In this case, in verse number 7, if you just kind of look at your Bible, the teachers were saying that um, Jesus did not come in the flesh. And now if that ever happens to you in real life, if anyone ever says to you Jesus didn't come in the flesh, please be ready to speak the truth in love, but speak the truth. But do it in love and pray that their heart would be open to receive the truth of the word. I've entitled the message today, True or False? And uh, we're going to go through these, these verses. But um, remember when we got into 1 John, 1 John, he was addressing the belief system of the Gnostics. Remember they were people that believed that uh, knowledge would save you. Uh, your relationship with Christ was secondary. Lifestyle was secondary. But here in verse number 7, uh, what, what John is addressing, they also believe, believe that Jesus did not resurrect bodily from the grave. 
And so he's addressing them in verse number seven. There are some people that, that are saying that Jesus never came in the flesh. So what he's doing, he's putting two thoughts together, saying, okay, they, I know they don't believe in the bodily resurrection, but if they don't believe in the body, bodily resurrection of Christ, they don't believe in the miraculous virgin birth of Jesus in the first place. And if anyone ever tells you that, you've got to understand they're a deceiver in verse number seven, very strong language. He says they, they are an antichrist. Now for us, in our, in our generation, in our world, if anyone says those things, like immediately we know, we understand they're in a cult. That's what's called a cult. They deny the lordship of Christ, the deity of Christ. They deny the virgin birth. They deny the bodily resurrection. Uh, speaking of, of cults, there was a time many, many years ago when Pamela and I first came to the Lord that uh, the Way International was uh, recruiting new members for their their uh, ministry. And somehow or other, Pamela and I got invited to a home Bible study. And I went there, we went there, and, you know, I didn't know much about it. I was brand new. I told my friend Lenny the next day, or maybe that night I called him. I said, Lenny, what do you think about the Way International? He said, Rick, man, he was always saying, Rick, man, Rick, man, they're a cult. Get out of there and never go back. I said, all right, Lenny, I won't do it. But but uh, I realized early on that there are a lot of different movements out there that are not sound, biblically sound. Uh, so anyway, in our circles, uh, this may not be such a problem, uh, at least among real Christians. We're, we're able to discern if someone says what's in verse number seven, we know pretty much immediately they're in a different group altogether. But um, there are many deceivers in what I would call the legitimate church that diminished the work of Christ and belittle the power of the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, are, are people that do that, are they Christians? I'm not about to judge them, but what I'm saying is they're not preaching or living in what we would call the full gospel. Uh, not very strong Christians, not evangelistic, generally speaking. I keep going back to the episode with Jesus and Pilate. Remember, I've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now. That when Jesus was brought before Pilate, he said, Pilate said to him, what have you done to to deserve this? And Jesus said, I've come to establish a kingdom. Oh, so you are a king. Yeah, I'm I'm a king, but my, my kingdom is not here. My kingdom will bear witness to the truth. And so the, the question continues to ring out, what is the truth? Because so many different groups think they have the truth. Well, here, this is the truth. That what Jesus did purchased our salvation on Calvary. He came to redeem us. That's the truth. So when you think about that, we needed to be redeemed. We need to be redeemed. We're in need of a Savior. That's the truth. And Jesus came, born of a virgin birth, fulfilling all the prophecies and all that he did, you know, to do what he did so that we could be redeemed. Luke 2 is one of my greatest uh, favorite Christmas passages. Uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The shepherds were out in the field, etc. Philippians chapter 2 talks about how Jesus emptied himself from glory and came and dwelt among us. And so any, any uh, deviation from this protocol uh, results in a slanted or twisted gospel. Paul wrote to the Galatians. He said, I'm, I'm amazed how some of you have left the gospel that we preached to you. Who has bewitched you? He said, who has, who has 
clouded your mind that you're following a different gospel. Well, Satan did and people that Satan used did. But anyway, John takes this subject very seriously. How to deal with error in the church by what I would say uncorrectable teachers. Because when you think about it, and if you remember in Acts 18, there was one teaching, his name was Apollos, he was eloquent. But Priscilla and Aquila took him aside and told him a more excellent way. He was teachable. He got it. He got what they were saying. But I, but I believe John is addressing people that are unteachable. They're un, uncorrectable teachers. So what he's saying is, when you deal with people like this, you have to do it in truth, and you have to do it in love, but you cannot accept anything that they're saying. As, as what's said in the Gospels, a little leaven spoils the whole lump or the whole loaf. So at this point, remember, John is 90-ish. He's older, wiser. He's concerned. He's the one who walked with Jesus. 60 years have gone by since those days. But John heard Jesus' teachings. He saw his miracles. He felt his compassion for people. And John was an eyewitness of his miracles and his death and resurrection and ascension. He was there when the Holy Spirit came. And John is ready to defend his faith. So when I look at this passage, I, the whole letter is geared on one subject, confronting false doctrine in the church. Now, I, uh, I googled false teachers today. If you do that, you will find a list this long, depending on who's writing the list. And there's some names on the different list that I've seen that I know. They're not false teachers. You may not agree with their position in the word, but they're not false teachers. So it gets a little bit confusing when you're looking at who is really a false teacher. So let, let's just go through this and see what we, come, what we can come out with. We're going to look at this verse by verse and then have some application towards the end. I'm going to be asking you some questions at the end, so get ready to answer. Verse number seven, it says, there's many deceivers in the world. They're deceivers and, and they're, they're in antichrist. I think that that's still true today. I mean, in my life, before I became born again, you've probably heard this, but I was being visited by Jehovah's Witnesses that came to my apartment. They were teaching me the word of God. I had this interaction with the Way International several different times. I even had an encounter with the Moonies. You, you all know the Moonies? I was ready to go to a, a, a thing at uh, some big estate in Westchester County, New York. And they told me, meet me here at whatever time and the bus will come and pick you up. And I went to go, but they never showed up. But, you know, thank the Lord now. But I, I, there were things out there trying to get me. And I think there may be things out there trying to get all of us at different points. I'm, I'm not saying that those things have not have have stopped happening to me. There are often things going on that kind of get my attention. I have to check it out and weigh it against the word of God. There's a lot of doctrines and things floating around. It's amazing. That's why I really appreciate the assemblies of God. If you ever want to know what we believe, go to the website ag.org. There's a there's a host of positional papers, doctrinal statements. You know. Um, how we, how we believe about certain topics. But anyway, so verse number seven, there are many deceivers in the world. 1 John 2, uh, John said in that epistle, he said, you've heard that the Antichrist, the Antichrist is coming. But I want to tell you, there are many Antichrists already in the world. 
And verse number seven, this is an antichrist spirit. In 1 Timothy 4, Paul says, In latter times, some will leave the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Peter said in 2 Peter 2, uh, Many false teachers will arise and, and with, uh, with destructive heresies. Even Jesus said in Matthew 24, In the last days, many false prophets and teachers will come, and they will be deceiving many. The point is is that there are many false teachers and prophets coming out of the church. Now, if it's obvious, like in verse number 7, to me, that's an obvious statement. If someone's preaching or teaching Jesus never was born in the flesh, we definitely have a problem. But there are some that have a lot of truth, but a little bit of error sprinkled in. Sometimes the the saying, remember the saying that I I refer to a lot, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, charity. But sometimes the essentials get a little bit cloudy. Like what might be essential for me or not essential for me may be essential for somebody else. Like if you don't go to church on Sunday, you're doomed. No, that's not an essential for me, but it may be for somebody else. There's one ministry I found as I was preparing for this called I Believe online. It's called I Believe. And they listed five things to look for when evaluating whether a ministry uh, is in error or not. Now, let me just give them to you really quickly. The first thing is, and I always ask this question anyway. The first question you ask is, who do they say Jesus is? If he's not the son of God, if he's not God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, we have a problem. Some groups say, oh, he's Michael the archangel. No, 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 he's not. Michael is the archangel. Jesus is Jesus. But anyway, who is Jesus? Where do you stand on the word of God? Is the word of God inerrant? Is it, is it true? If it's not, and are there other books associated that you have to study to get to the truth? That's one thing about the way international. I went to this meeting, and they told me uh, I, I can study their book and uh, learn how to speak in tongues and all this other stuff. And I said, well, you know, I don't. So I asked Lenny. That's when Lenny said, no, they're a cult. Get out of there. Never go back. But, you know, wh- what do you say about the, the word of God? Is the word of God inerrant? Number three is the doctrine of heaven and hell. We don't talk about it much, but it is in the Bible. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And so if someone denies that or doesn't focus on that, there could be an issue. Uh, the sin issue. Some ministries are, are overboard on the grace side. Every, anything goes, God is a God of grace. Others are so overboard on the other side, God is judging you and you're losing your salvation every time you do anything. So there's got to be a balance of the sin issue. And the other issue is an overemphasis on prosperity. That's one of the, probably one of the biggest issues in our culture. If a ministry is really focusing on prosperity all the time, above and beyond salvation and a life of holiness, we've got a problem. I always say the litmus test for the prosperity message is, will it work in a third world country? Or will it work in some U.S. cities that are riddled with poverty and crime? If it doesn't work there, then I don't know if it could work, if it should work anywhere. But if it's true, it should work everywhere. So anyway, verse number seven, uh, many deceivers have gone out into the world. Any, any falsehood is a deception in the work of Antichrist. 
Now, verse number eight, I just have to forewarn you. Verse number eight is one of those scriptures that in, in my New King James, it's a little bit different than probably your NIV or some others. I tend to believe it's the, uh, the New King James is, is, uh, is um, accurate, but I'll tell you why. He says, look to yourselves. In other words, church, there's false teachers, but look to yourself. Examine your heart. Examine what you believe in. Examine where you are with the Lord. And uh, are these teachers, are what they saying bearing witness to you? So I, I would look at it like this, and th- this may sound a little bit unusual if, if, your, if your word doesn't say we and your word says you in verse number 8. So it says, look to yourself that we do not lose the things we work for, but that we might receive a full reward. Now your translation may say that you might not lose your reward, or etc. Either way, there's an issue. So if it's, if it's the, the way that I'm thinking... Look to yourself. In other words, I'm asking you, think about what they're saying. I don't want to lose my reward because I poured into your life. I led you to the truth. And I have a reward in glory waiting for me because you are my reward. Now, why would I say that? I would say that because in my New King James, it's saying that. But also Paul said it in 1 Thessalonians 2. He said, what is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown of rejoicing? In other words, what's the point of what we're doing? So I could ask this amongst my pastoral peer group. What's the point of what we're doing? Why are we doing what we're doing? And Paul says, well, our hope and joy and crown of rejoicing is you, Corinthians. It's the body of Christ. In the presence of Jesus Christ at his coming. What he's saying is, my reward, my, the point is, is that you will be ready when Jesus comes back. You are our glory. You are our joy. So that's why I think verse number eight has to do with, with the leadership looking at the church saying, come on, look at yourself. We poured into you and we don't want to lose our reward and glory for your salvation. But if, it's, if, it's, if you want to go with the other translation, look to yourselves that you do not lose the things that we worked for uh, and that you will receive a full reward. That's good, too, in a way. Because you don't want to throw everything that you learned out the window by some deceptive, deceptive doctrine. Examine what's going on. Look to your heart and, and weigh it out against the word of God. I think John is saying in verse number eight, we don't want to lose you. We've labored for you. Think about it. And incidentally, just, I'll just throw this in. As I was going over my notes last night, getting it all ready for today, wouldn't you know, I got a text from someone loosely affiliated with the church that I basically spent some time with, telling me they're leaving and something happened and blah, blah, blah. Nothing personal with anybody. But I'm just thinking, wow, this is my verse right here. You know, this is my verse. This is for me right now. I poured in. But someone's saying, ah, I don't want this anymore. I'm leaving. It broke my heart. This is a real life illustration of what I think John's talking about. Don't, so what he's saying is don't listen to everybody. You know what the truth is. Stay in the truth. If you've got a problem with the church or with the leader or somebody, please sit down and talk about it and get it out in the open and you know, get it straightened out. So he says, verse number nine, uh, whoever transgresses... Um, 
uh, and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ. Now he's talking about the doctrines of Christ versus the doctrines of the Gnostics. But if you're not abiding in the doctrines of Christ, uh, you don't you don't have God. If you're abiding in the doctrines, you have the Father and the Son. I like that. Maybe some of you could feel that in your own life sometimes. That you know when you're in Christ and you know when you're not in Christ. Not that you departed 100%, but you may have a foot in the church and a foot in the world and you realize you're not where you should be. But if you're abiding in Christ, or you're, you're abiding in the doctrine of Christ, you have the Father and the Son. Doesn't that sound protective right there? If you're in, if you're in the doctrine of Christ, well, now we, what is the doctrine? Well, that's another sub, that, that's a deeper subject. I have a couple of examples. I think, I think Paul articulated some of the doctrines of Christ in his writings to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 and 2, he said, When I came to you, I was determined to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. I didn't come to you in flowery speech and a lot of words. I came to you with, with uh, the, Holy, the, power, uh, the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and with power. So, so the doctrine of Christ is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, in this case, Paul is coming off of another experience that he had in Athens where he was preaching and some people didn't believe him. Some people said, I'll see you later. And some people did believe him, but he was trying to reason with them here. He's saying, I don't know. I don't want to know anything else. The doctrine of Christ is Jesus Christ died and he he came to save your soul. That's all I want to know. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes this. He says, I received from the Lord that which I gave to you. That on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, etc. But I'm declaring to you the doctrine of Christ, that Jesus died for your sins. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I delivered to you first that Christ died for our sins and was buried according to the scriptures. And on the third day arose again according to the scriptures. So the doctrine of Christ means all the things that Jesus said and did, we, we study, we read, we ponder, we apply them to our lives. And when we're doing that, when we're abiding in that truth, we have the Father and the Son. I'd probably say we also have the Holy Spirit at work too. We have the whole presence of God with us. So the doctrines of Christ. Now verses 10 and 11, this is when verses 1 through 6, if you've been hearing the sermon so far, If you're walking in truth and walking in love, this is the reality in verses 10 and 11. Because like I said the last couple of weeks, you may be walking in truth and walking in love and feeling like anything goes because love covers everything. Well, to a degree. But John is saying here, look, in verse number 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. This is a difficult doctrine to present. But Paul, um, John is saying, someone comes in and they have the other doctrine and they're not receiving the doctrine of Christ. In particular, that Jesus came in the flesh, but whatever else Jesus did. If they don't receive it, you can't receive them. Don't accept it, don't consider his teaching. Don't even open up your home. Don't open up your heart to this falsehood. I think verse number 11 is a little bit deeper issue. That if we even entertain it, we're entering into the fallacy with the person. To me, that's a pretty serious statement. 
1 Corinthians 15, 33, Paul wrote, Though you know evil company corrupts good habits. So how does that apply to us? Well, you may be hanging out with somebody that doesn't have the same faith that you have. If you're leading them to Christ, that's one thing. If they're influencing you, that's another thing. But evil company corrupts good habits. Proverbs 4.23, it says, guard your heart. For out of your heart flow the issues of life. We can't allow certain things to come into our spirit, into our mind, into our being. Doctrinal issues that are, that are obviously that are not godly, not biblical. And, but you could take that in a lot of different ways too. We have to protect our heart from a lot of uh, worldly influences. Whether it's moral issues or financial uh, attitudes or whatever. We have to protect ourselves from the way of the world and flow with the Spirit of God. So Pamela and I have been walking with the Lord for a, a number of years now. Can I tell you something? It, it, it doesn't get easier, but it gets more obvious what we have to do, to me anyway. It's not, it's not an easy walk to do things God's way, but it's more clear. The battle lines are more clear in my heart and spirit the older I get. I see things where we shouldn't go that way, we should go this way. But I see the influence of the world just banging on the church door all the time, trying to come in, trying to influence the way of the church. And John is saying, you can't allow that to happen. You have to safeguard the truth of God's word. Okay, so that's verses 7 through 11. Um, now, I want to I go through this. I'm going to ask you some questions. And this, uh, this might be a little interesting for you, but uh, true or false, based on those verses, 7 through 11. So I'm going to ask you. The first point is this. The narrow road is the better road. But, but before you answer, look at verse number 7. There's many deceivers. 1 John 2 says there's many antichrists. 2 Peter 2 says there's many will follow the false teachers. Matthew 24, 11, many false prophets will go out and deceive many. Everyone's following whatever. It seems like everyone's doing what they want to do. It doesn't even matter. But let me ask you the question. Is the narrow road the better road? Is it true or false? It's true, but it's harder, wouldn't you say? I mean, the wide road is anything goes. You can believe whatever you want. It doesn't matter. We're all children of God. You ever hear that one? We're all children of God. I don't think so. God's our creator, yeah, but I don't know that we're all his children in that sense. In Matthew 7, Jesus described it perfectly. He said there's, there's two roads or two gates. One is wide, and it leads to destruction. The other one is narrow. It's a narrow gate, a narrow road that leads, leads to life. Enter by the narrow gate. But he says something very, like very uh, poignant. He says, few will find it. So many are going that way, but the few are going this way. Are you part of the many or part of the few? This is what I'm saying. It doesn't get any easier. It's just more clear what we have to do. I think about something someone told me many years ago. Maybe some of you could relate to this. I want, want to make it applicable to this. But they said, you know, little, when you have little children, you have little problems. When you have big children, guess what? You've got big problems. 
But like when, you, when you're a young Christian, or you got little things to worry about. You got the narrow world. Okay, whatever. As you get older and you're, and you're hopefully wiser and you see things deeper, the wide road sometimes looks really tempting. And everyone's going that way. So what's the big deal if I just do a little bit over, over here? Well, the big deal is that you're forfeiting your heart for the world. And this is where the church is at. The church has become so concerned about welcoming and accepting everything that we sometimes forget. The road that we're on is a narrow road. It's got to be a narrow road. Everyone's not going to be on the narrow road. And I would say, you know what, church? And I, I'm, I'm all one for fellowship. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I, I get it. I'm into it. I need it. But there are many times when we have to walk all by ourselves. When we hit, put our head on the pillow, it's me and Jesus. That's it. And my wife is right next to me. She's doing the same thing. But I got to figure it out for me. And the wide road is calling sometimes. Go this way. Do, do this. Whatever. It doesn't matter. No one will know. It doesn't do. Who cares? Jesus does. So the narrow road is the harder road. But it's the better road to take. I want to encourage the church. If you're not on the narrow road, get on the narrow road. The road to the narrow door is always open. The gate's always open. It's just we may not see it all the time. We see the big gate that's wide open. It's like driving down the highway. I see a little opening in the traffic. Man, I, I shoot for the opening. The, I make the, I, I, I'm on the, I go, I go for it. But sometimes there's just a little opening to get off the exit. I got I to gotta go that way. I want to encourage you, church, to find the narrow road and embrace the narrow road. The narrow road is a good road. If we just stay on the narrow road, I believe this so strongly. A lot of issues in life would not happen to us. We wouldn't be getting the wrath of the world, the wrath of people, the wrath of God, because we're in a protective state on, in the narrow road. It's a good place to be. It's a hard place, but it's a good place to be. So number one, the, the narrow road, is it, a, uh, is it the better road? It is absolutely the better road. Here's number true. Number two, true or false? The Antichrist is already here. Well, somewhat of a trick question. The Antichrist with a capital A. I just read something recently. Someone prominent really believes, oh, the Antichrist must be alive somewhere today. He's just not active yet. Well, whatever. But is the Antichrist here? Um, I would say, based on 7b... That there, there is, this is an Antichrist, is what he says. There, there's a spirit of the Antichrist, people functioning as an Antichrist being. They have the spirit of the Antichrist. One's a capital A, one's a little a. So is the Antichrist here? I would have to say, yeah, I think the Antichrist spirit is here anyway. What is the Antichrist spirit? This is another thing, of, of, like when you're on the narrow road, you start thinking about these things. Because the Antichrist spirit can't, get, can't go in the narrow road. It it's like oil and water. It doesn't go. It doesn't mix. But we see the Antichrist spirit all over the world. The Antichrist spirit is any belief, thought, or practice that is contrary to the teachings of Jesus Christ. It's an Antichrist spirit. Well, let me give you a couple of examples. Premarital sex is perfectly fine. Everybody's doing it. I still love Jesus. It's an antichrist spirit. The word of God says, save yourself for marriage. And there's many 
logical reasons why to do that, but it's a biblical reason. But the Antichrist spirit is saying, ah, forget about that, it's okay. That's an Antichrist spirit. It's okay to live an unholy lifestyle, cursing, lying, fighting, arguing all the time, when the Word of God says, come out from among them and be holy. But the Antichrist spirit says, you don't need to do that, forget about that. It's an Antichrist spirit. It's okay to seek riches on earth as your main objective in life. It's okay to do that. I mean, doesn't God want you to be blessed at the neglect of serving God? Well, no. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you that you were so worried about, food, clothing, and shelter. But seek God first. Every day has enough problems of his own. But this is an antichrist spirit. Certainly when, when Satan tempted Jesus in Matthew 4, in Luke 4, Definitely it was an antichrist spirit. It was Satan doing the tempting, taking the word of God and twisting the word of God. Oh, the word of God says, you do, if you do this, you don't have this. And Jesus every time refuted him with the true interpretation of the word of God. That's an antichrist spirit that tries to distort the word of God. So is the antichrist here now living in the world? Uh, the spirit is, absolutely. And he may be for that matter. Now, here's number three. That our lives don't affect anybody. Now, going back to verse number eight, we have to look at the the different ways to interpret the we or the you. I'm looking at it as the we. But our lives don't affect it. Is that true or false? Our lives don't affect it. What do you think? Yeah, but you could live your life and no one needs to know your business. Why, Why would that affect anybody? Well, see, the whole thing is contrary to the Christian principle of fellowship. Our lives absolutely affect one another. When I got that text last night from this person, I was affected for the rest of the night. I woke up with a heavy heart, to tell you the truth. It affected me. How could it not affect me? You know? Of course it affects us. And and John's saying in verse number 8, Look, we don't want to lose what we labored for. We labored for your soul. We don't want to lose the rewards, the crown of rejoicing, as we read earlier. So now you know the secret. When, when you, the way, oh, how can I say this? Hopefully, I'm affecting you in a positive way. But it, it also, you affect me sometimes. Just the way life is. Our interactions, our growth, our Whatever's going on, it affects both of us. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about uh, we are the body of Christ. Different functions and everything, but we're members of one another. Romans 12, same thing. Though we are many, we are one body. We belong to one another. We've got to be concerned about one another. We affect each other. Doesn't the scripture say when one suffers, everybody suffers? When one rejoices, everyone rejoices. When one cries, everybody cries. One laughs, everybody laughs. It's all true. It's how it should be. That's how it is. I think of my life, and I, I'm so thankful I could look back and, and, and remember different people, different pastors in my life that poured into my life, spoke into my life. And in, in, a, in a sense, verse number eight, I don't want to disappoint those people that poured into my life. There's Pastor Jerry. There's Pastor Tino, there's Pastor Ray, 
Uh, there's the superintendent, Brother Stanley, Brother Fatato, different presbyters I had, Brother Fagler, Brother uh, Renker, uh, Brother Grant. All these people spoke into my life. In a sense, I represent all of them. So yeah, my, if I, you know, what, good or bad, whatever I do has a reflection on those men that poured into my life. And by the way, verse number eight, who are you pouring into? It's not just the pastor that pours in. Making a phone call, visiting someone, encouraging someone. Who are you pouring into? Could you say to somebody, come on, man, I don't want you to blow it here. We, we've been having good fellowship. We've been spending time together. We go out to eat or whatever we do. Come on, I, I want you to stay on track. I want you to, to finish this race that you're on and, and run the good race with the Lord. Come on, I want to I help you get through it. Does someone, there should be someone in your life like that, that you're influencing, that you're affecting. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul writes to the church there, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Yeah, but what about if he hurts my feelings? What about if he's rude to me? What about if he puts his finger in my face and tells me, well, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor, it is a labor, hello? It's a labor of love for the kingdom of God. I don't feel like making the phone call. I don't feel like making the visit. I don't feel like doing this or doing that. I don't feel like another Sunday, I got to preach again on a Sunday. I don't feel like it. How, how does that grab you? <laughs> Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Who are you preaching to, Pastor Rick? Pastor Rick. Oh, another Saturday's coming. I got to get ready for Sunday. Oh, Lord. <laughs> you better believe it. Yeah, it does. I know some pastors, after Sunday, they, on Monday, they start preparing for the next week's message. I said, man, I could never do that. I don't know how you do that. I need, I need something, a little break right here. Anyway, anyway. Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What do you do when you're pouring into somebody? It's not just a pastor thing. The body of Christ should be pouring into somebody. When that person disses you, they're rude to you, they're not nice to you anymore. You've got to know that your labor is not in vain. Maybe the time is not right now. Maybe something will happen where they'll, they'll go through something. And maybe next week or next month or next year, they'll remember it and they'll get it together. Remember last week we talked about uh, giving, uh, let's see, what was it? Giving love away. And uh, there was one verse in Luke 6, I think maybe 17, where, where Jesus was saying, if someone slaps you, give them the other cheek. And my comment was, give your soul away. Give yourself away. Let them, if they want to hurt you, let them hurt you. You, you. you have to be strong. You have to be able to take it. Because as you take that, hopefully in time, their aggression or whatever they're dealing with will be realized in their own heart and spirit. And they'll realize, what am I, what am I doing that for? He, in other words, we need, need to absorb somebody's pain. And give them a chance to get it right with God and with people. So we affect each other all the time. It's the nature of the body of Christ. 
Here's number four. I got five, so we're coming down the home stretch. Here's number four. Doctrine is not important. You believe what you want to believe. I believe what I want to believe. I'll see you in heaven. Maybe, maybe not. It depends what you're talking about, right? But Jesus said it so well. Anyway, doctrine is important. That, that's a false statement. Jesus said it so well. Blessed is the man who hears these sayings of mine and does them. He'll be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And when the winds came and, and the, the, the rain came and the floods came uh, and beat on that house, that house stood firm because it was built upon the rock. But Jesus said, you know what? Woe is the man who hears these sayings of mine and doesn't do them. He's like a, he's like a foolish man who builds his house upon the sand. And when the rain comes and the flood comes and the wind comes and beats down on the house, that house will fall and great will be its fall because it wasn't built upon the rock. So doctrine is crucially important. Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you been baptized in water? Are you ready for the trumpet? Someone might say, what trumpet? I thought Doug Reagan played the trumpet. No, the trumpet. The trumpet. Are you ready for the trumpet? Do you, know, do you even know what I'm talking about? It's a doctrine. The trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will arise and we will be caught up with the Lord forever. Are you, are you living a holy life? Are you consecrated? Do you repent often? Oh, Brother Richard Andriosi, some of you remember a dear brother passed away way too young. One thing he said, and he said a lot of good things, but one thing in particular he said, he said, keep short accounts with God. You blow it, you repent at ASAP, and then you forget about it. I woke up this morning to a sermon on my little app, and uh, the preacher was, I don't know if you even know who it was, but he was in, um, oh, it may have been, uh, is it J. Vernon McGee, that guy? Um, he was saying, do not call to, um, oh, forgetting the things which are behind, I press forward. That's what I woke up to this morning. I said, oh, I, I like that word, Lord. Especially in light of what happened at, you know, on Saturday night with the other person. Forget those things that are behind. Press toward the mark of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But it's doctrinal. It's a doctrinal thing. It's not like, oh, I'm just, I feel like it. It's a doctrine to move forward with God. Are you in the word daily? Do you pray? Do you worship? Are you engaged with other people? Do you, do you assemble together? Uh, doctrine keeps us on track. You know, my latest saying, you probably saw it on the sign if you, if you noticed it on the way in. My latest saying nowadays is, isn't it about time we all got back to church? Jesus is waiting. That's my saying right now. That's a doctrinal, oh, well, you don't have to go to church. Well, you really don't have to, but my goodness, you should want to. If I could press in a little bit. Aren't you sick and tired of COVID-related excuses? Although, right now, there's three families in our church that are dealing with COVID, but it's not like it was before. It's like a mild version. Thank you, Jesus. But anyway, doctrine is important. Do you know what the doctrines even are? You have to know the doctrines. It's like, like when, uh, when John was, was saying this. I was going to say this earlier, and I kind of slipped my mind, but when someone... Uh, determines if a dollar bill is, a, is real or counterfeit. 
They don't study the fake. They study the real. So when they see the fake, it's obviously right off the bat. That kid, that's not right. Because they know what the real is. Do you know what the real doctrine is of the church? This is where, this is where like Bible study is important. You know, fellowship is important. Worship is important. Times of dialogue is important with other Christian people. But do you know what the doctrines are? On Wednesday night, I know we're going through Daniel. I've, I've been enjoying that study so much. It's a great book. But so much doctrine is coming out. I'm not saying this is a doctrine, you know, number 92 or whatever. No, it's just a doctrinal thing that you find in the Word of God all the time. There's a lot of doctrines in the Word. But Bible study helps us to know what the doctrines are. Okay, and number five is this. Is this true or false? It doesn't matter who we fellowship with. It doesn't matter who we fellowship with. Based on this, I'd say that's a false statement. It does matter who we fellowship with. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. I think I shared this with you not too long ago, but it's worth saying again under this setting. When Pamela and I first got saved, um, you know, I, I used to play in, in bars and clubs my guitar. So we moved to North Carolina, and we were probably six months into our walk. I met this Christian guy, and I said, hey, listen, uh, I'm going to go to that club down there and get a job. I need some extra money. And very wisely, he said, you know, Rick, I don't think that's a really, really good idea. I think God will give you a different way to make some money. Well, I was smart enough, or whatever, I, I believed him, and I didn't go do that. But what he was saying was, if you go down there and put yourself in that environment, all your good habits are going to go out the window. And he's pr- probably right. So you avoid the whole thing. So yeah, who we fellowship with is really, really important. 1 Corinthians 5, this, this is a great passage. If we had time, I'd read it all, but we don't have time. But Paul is saying, I told you, don't fellowship with sexually immoral people or thieves or those that covet or steal or whatever. It lists all these sinful people. But then he said, I wasn't talking about people who do that in the world. He said, I'm talking about people who do that in the church. So people in the church do all that? Apparently. And Paul was saying, don't fellowship with them. If you want to correct them and lead them to Jesus, that's another story. But you can't be hanging out with a different mindset and think it's okay. It's not okay. That will probably pollute your spirit and pollute your mind and bring you back to what you got saved out of in the first place. So, yeah, so fellowship, it, it is important who we fellowship with and, and, and how close we get with certain people, too. Now, James chapter 5 talks about how it's important if, if you turn a sinner from their way, you save a soul. Absolutely. That's a little different than having fellowship and having a grand old time and not even talking about the Lord. But if you're fellowshipping with someone with the intent of leading them to Christ, that's, that's great. But if you're fellowshipping with them because you're going to have a grand old time in the flesh, that's wrong. So who we fellowship with is very, very important. Okay, so here, here we're going to conclude this. True or false? 2 John 1, 7 through 11. The narrow road is absolutely the right road. The Antichrist is already at work. The wise one would be sensitive to that. You know, when you hear the news, when you see things, when things unfold, uh, like national news or whatever, try to discern the spirit of Antichrist. Listen, there was a shooting up in Buffalo yesterday. That was absolutely the work of the Antichrist. Antichrist spirit. 
racially motivated, violent. It was terrible. 18-year-old guy armed himself with all this armor and a gun and went on and videotaped or, or live streamed the whole thing on, uh, on some outlet. I mean, how evil is that? But doesn't your spirit say, that's the work of, that's an antichrist spirit. Absolutely. Number three is that we, we definitely affect one another, whether in a good way or a bad way. Doctrine is absolutely important. I can't stress enough how important it is to read the word, study the word, come to Bible studies. Get involved. That's what the whole thing is about. I mean, when Pamela and I first got saved many years ago, I, I knew a couple of Bible stories from when I was a kid, but I didn't know a whole lot. I'll tell you what, going through the Bible verse by verse like we're doing in Daniel and like we're doing in First John and Second John, there is so much to learn. I'm 40 plus years into this and I'm learning things now. Why? Because we're in the word of God. So I want to encourage you, get, get, get the doctrine down. But you're not, you're not going to buy a book and get all, all like a list of ten doctrines. There's so many things. You have to be actively in the Word of God to discern the Word of God. And the last one is, uh, who we fellowship with uh, absolutely does matter. So I want to close out by reading verse number 9. Why don't we stand together as we do this? It's on the screen up there. Now this is the New King James Version. It says, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. My commentary is, he may think he has God, or you may think he has God. Because you don't know what's going on in his spirit, but he may look like everything's cool, but it's not really cool. But uh, he who transgresses does not abide in the doctrine of Christ. He does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Father and the Son. Can we read that together? Okay. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Let's read it one more time. Whoever transgresses does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. But let me, let me just tell you something right here. I think, Stacy, we'll get into it during worship. I think it was. There's grace. There's grace for you. It's not too late to get it right. It's not too late to come back and say, Okay, Lord, forgetting those things that are behind, I press forward. This is the great thing about God. He never gives up on us. We may have been deceived, you know? We may have been purposefully deceived and followed the wrong road for a while, but he's still there waiting for us to come back and get right with him. He will never turn us away. So every head bowed for just a moment. I have three questions here. Is there anyone here this morning or somebody online perhaps that needs to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? As the, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the truth. Is there anyone that needs to accept Jesus in your personal life uh, as your personal Lord and Savior? Raise your hand if that's you. If you're online, write a little note. Anyone need to receive Jesus today? It's not Muhammad. It's not... It's not uh, 
It's not the Mormons. It's, it's not Jehovah's Witness and all that. It's not the way. It's international. It's, it's Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's the only way of salvation. Amen. Is, is there anyone here today that feels a need in your life? Based on this, maybe, maybe not a faulty doctrine, but you just haven't been living in the doctrines of Christ that you know. And it's time for you to repent. Start fresh. Start new with God. Jesus said in Matthew 5, he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Is there somebody here that feels like now's your time, this is your time to let your light shine? Maybe, maybe last year wasn't your time, whatever. But today you realize this is your time. This is your moment. In fact, you may be thinking, I've got to let my light shine because if I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm involved in too much. I see too much. I've got to be in the light. Change my heart, oh God. Yes, Lord. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. Let's sing that again. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Make it ever true. Change my heart. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. May I be like you.
church ultimately it's God that does the changing we just have to let him I'm going to pray a benediction prayer leave you with this thought let God do it let God do it Hallelujah. after I pray the altars will be open if anyone needs prayer maybe brother Doug if you could maybe lead us after I pray a little bit longer that would be great I still, you know, maybe there's someone that needs to just give up the fight. I mean, in my life, there was always that moment when someone would walk out from the crowd and say, I want to get it right. I still believe in that. I.e., Zacchaeus, come out of the tree. Who touched me? The, the woman with the issue, who touched me? And he's always looking for the one person. Well, let me pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, for this day. Lord, it's been a good day in your house. It's been a great day worshiping you and celebrating a birthday, several birthdays, and ministering to the children. And oh, God, it's been a good day. Your word, Lord, is life to us. Your word is literally life Hallelujah. to our soul. Yes. Lord, yes. I don't know about anybody else. I, yes. Forgive me, Lord. Sometimes I get so. Uh, involved Jesus. in the affairs of the world. I, I have to know all the news. And it's all bad news. <laughs> but Lord, your word brings life to my soul. And I want to thank you for that, Lord. I pray that as we depart from this place, that the living word of God will be manifested in us. It will affect us and change us so that we will know without a shadow of a doubt. We'll know what truth is. We'll know what falsehoods are. And we'll choose to walk in the truth. Help us, Lord, with that. Help us to, to live in the truth, to know the truth, to live in the truth, to do the truth. Because you are the truth. So, Lord, I thank you for this time. And I pray your blessing over every person, every family, every child downstairs, all the teachers, everybody. May your blessing rest upon us in a very powerful way in these days. We give you all thanks and all praise. We pray it all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Okay. The altars are open if you need prayer. We're just going to worship a little bit longer. See you tonight on the live stream.